you go ahead and take your Bible out and meet me in Luke chapter 10. And as you're making your way there, I'm going to reference another part of Scripture in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus is finishing up what we have come to know as the Sermon on the Mount. And in verse 6, he tells the people this, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. Now, in that context, Jesus is telling these people not to bother with continuing to present the gospel to people who consistently and adamantly want to reject it. In other words, don't throw your pearls before pigs. Don't take the pearl, don't take the treasure of the gospel and just consistently set it before people that adamantly reject it. And I thought I'd done messed up or something and said something I didn't mean to. I was, y'all like our pig? He's going to be our mascot for the next few weeks. Jesus is saying, don't take the treasure of the gospel and set it before somebody that's just nasty and doesn't want it and constantly rejects it. Now, that's not to say that we are the distributors and purveyors of who gets to receive grace and who doesn't. But he is saying there's a lot of people out there, like Matt was talking about tonight, that are seeking and searching for truth. He's saying, take those pearls, take the treasure of my word and set it in front of them. Spend your time there. Spend your efforts there. So in the context of what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 7, that's where we're at. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. And we're going to shift gears a little bit. And why I reference that is going to make more sense here in a second. Idol worship is something that humanity has battled since sin's inception, and the battle continues today. Now, I know you probably don't have shrines or images or statues in your home. You probably don't have a closet with like some little Joe Boo set up in there that you go in and you light an incense to, and you bow down, and you worship, and you re- recite some kind of chant or incantation. I know that's probably not the reality of your idol worship, but in reality, an idol is anything that competes for God for the throne of our hearts. It's something that draws your affection. It's something that you place a premium or a priority on over Christ in your life. That's simply what idol worship is, and so idols can take many different forms in our modern day lives. They look specific back then. They had false gods they would worship. They would set up idols. They would set up pagan idols that they would make for themselves. And idols kind of look specific. They look tangible back in those times. In our days, they can look intangible. Most of us wouldn't readily say or, or even practice idol worship in the sense that we set up something in our houses, but yet idols still exist in our lives. And there's a few of them over the next few weeks that I feel like the Lord has identified in our modern lives that we battle with and that we bow to and that we even worship to some extent. So we're going to look at some of those things over the next couple of weeks together. The reality is that combined with Jesus' words, it's going to give us the construct for our new series, which is Pearls for Pigs. And it's when we allow our hearts to be given over to the idols of this world, we are in essence trading pearls for pigs. We are trading the treasure of Jesus and his word and his gospel for the pig, nasty, muck, mire, and mud of this world. Everything in comparison to him looks like a nasty old pig. So we're going to look at some of those things 
tonight in a remix of a series that I actually did with our college students about four and a half years ago. So if some of y'all are having faint memories of this, it has been spoken before, but we're going to remix it a little bit tonight. And I promise you God has some new things that he'll speak into your life as well. So in Luke chapter 10, we encounter a dangerous idol that has crept into a lot of hearts modern day, I believe. And that is this, the idol of achievement. So check out Luke chapter 10, verse 38, a very, very familiar story for most of you in Scripture. It says that as they went on their way, Jesus and his disciples, they, they entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Tonight, I want to speak to you from the subject of the achievement abyss. I grew up in a home where I was taught the importance and value of hard work. If you want something, quite simply, you work for it. Do what needs to be done in order to attain or achieve it. Our culture, in a lot of ways pushes us to base our lives around achievements. You can be a part of scouts at a young age where you pursue certain tasks in order to receive a badge every time you fulfill one of those tasks. We kind of made a, a knockoff version of this in church. We called it Awana. Some of y'all remember Awana. Some of y'all have no idea. Awana holds a dear place in my heart. Awana was one of those things where you did the same thing as a kid. You had memory verses, you had tasks, and if you came and you recited the verse, you got your, your cub badge, you know, or whatever it was. They, they had like different colored vests, and you got to sew the badge onto your vest. And I wore that vest like it was an honor. Like you can ask my parents, I would take my Awana vest and just wear it around the house every day of the week. Like it was something about it that just gave me a sense of pride. I was like, look at all my patches, man, like memorizing my verses. Like, I took great joy in achieving those badges when I would go to church. Like I, I, I relished in the opportunity when it came time to tell our Awana leader what our memory verse was or what the specific task was for that week because I was like, I'm fixing to knock this out of the park. I'm going to add another badge down here, and then I'm going to move from the red vest to the blue vest. It's going to be awesome. Sports. Sports push us to achieve postseason awards or accolades to break records, rewrite history, uh, build your own brand, uh, be your own name, even being part of a, a band. My sister was a part of a band through school, honor bands. We went to, to honor band sessions. They had, they had like their own Awana version of, uh, of badges. They would all walk in with their sashes on. They had their medals on. Yeah, I know what I'm talking about, Rachel, Caitlin. All right. it, it, made a, it made an instrument of his own. They'd all come walking in and be like, cling, 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 like, they wore that like a badge of honor. I like it. It was all about getting the medals, getting that honor band. Academics. Academics push us towards achievements. Degrees. Honor rolls. Dean's list. Whatever it may be, academics push us towards achieving things. Career for you adults in the room. Promotions. Salaries. Climb the corporate ladder. Make your way up. Achievement, 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 achievement. Everything around our lives is built around achieving something more. Getting to the next level. Climbing the next 
wrong, taking the next step. Now, listen to me. There's nothing wrong with hard work or achievements. I'm not downing that in any way, form, or fashion. But if we aren't careful, achievement can become an idol that we bow to and place our identity in. That's exactly where some of you may find yourselves. And I can speak very personally to this idol in my life because it's one that God has had to absolutely tear down. And then as we look at Martha, I think God gives us an illustration of what an achievement idol does within each and every one of us. And some of you tonight, you already know this is speaking directly to you. Some of you might be on the fence on whether or not, I don't know, man, like I'm about goals, I'm about achieving things, I'm about accolades, I'm about... I'm about promoting myself, getting to the next level. I'm about hard work. I'm about all those things. But I I wouldn't necessarily call it an idol in my life. Well, let's walk through some things. And let's just see if maybe achievement has set itself up as an idol in your life. Because I want to give you some identifiers of what it is and what it does when it sets itself up upon the throne of our hearts. And the first is this. an, An idol of achievement, it always causes distraction. If you are someone who bows to the idol of achievement, you are a distracted person, I can guarantee it. So if we go back and look at verse 40, Jesus has come into this village. He has entered into the home of Martha and Mary. And you've got to understand that Jesus has done a lot for these two sisters. Jesus holds a very, very special place within their lives. And he used their house very often as a home base when he was in the area doing ministry. So when they find out that Jesus is in town, they know he's coming here. And they would have more than welcomed his presence in their house. And so Jesus enters into the village. Martha welcomes him into her house. And he walks in. And immediately Martha's sister Mary sits down at his feet. Verse 40 says, Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. So we see Martha running around the house trying to tidy everything up, and the text describes it by telling us that Martha was distracted. Everybody say distracted. Now turn to the person beside you and tell them to pay attention. This is the paradox of the idol of achievement. It's this, that achievement requires focus, but without us realizing it, it causes distraction. We feel and we sense Martha's presence in every room of that house except the one that Jesus was in. Y'all know how it is when you got company coming over. I know you ladies do, especially most of us men, we're like, we don't care. Like, house is a mess, so what? But all you ladies are like, you're upset. Like, everything has got to be put in its place. So Jesus is coming. Martha knows this. He's coming into the house, and Martha, you know, they caught him off guard. Like, nothing's worse than surprise visits. The, the, the pop-in, oh, it's like the worst kind of visit. Because you weren't, you weren't prepared, you weren't anticipating it, and now the house is in shambles. And so Jesus rolls into town, snuck in on Martha. She didn't know he was coming. He's coming to her house, and she welcomes him in. But as he gets in the house, she's running around all over the house trying to clean things up. She's running, she's in the living room, she's picking up all the dirty clothes, she's running over to the laundry room, she's throwing them in there. She runs back around to the kitchen, she's trying to put up dirty dishes, she, she's scrubbing everything down, she runs to the bathroom, there's towels all on the floor, pick your towels up, like, there's, a, there's a hamper for a reason, throws them in the laundry room. She's all over the house. 
She's in the den where Jesus is at, and she's sweeping the floor, which is probably hard back then because it was just like made out of dirt, so it felt like counterproductive. But she's sweeping anyway. She's trying to clean up everything, trying to get everything put in shape, put in order. She's distracted with much serving. She's trying to get the house together, and, and her sister Mary is just sitting there. She's everywhere. Martha's everywhere except where she really needs to be. And her distraction isn't what seems to be a bad thing, right? So she's distracted with much serving. She's doing some good stuff. But it's a distraction nonetheless. Here's the detriment of it. It's pulling her away from the presence of Jesus. That's the distraction. Even though she's serving, even though she's, she's serving him, He's there. The only reason she's doing any of this stuff inside the house is because Jesus is there. She's doing it on behalf of his presence, but it's taking her away from his presence. That's a distraction. The idol of achievement is excellent at causing distraction. Let me give you an identifier within this of, of people who have an idol of achievement. They have an easy identifier when it comes to this specific truth. They make checklists. You're a checklist kind of person. You're a sticky note kind of person. You've got a whiteboard somewhere in your house. You've got a home calendar that everybody has to check or you're sharing one with the rest of the family. These are people who are very, 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 very likely to fall into the trap of setting up achievement as an idol in their life because they make checklists. They put everything down that they got to do within the course of the day. Homework, got that done. Got to go to work, got that done. I got, got chores or got cleaning to do, got that done. Uh, what's the next on the list? Bills, got to get the bills paid, got that done. I got, I got meetings to go to, got that done. All right, when that's all said, we got ball games, we got practice. Once we get home, got that done. And then what happens is, somewhere along the way, Jesus fell off the list. We never got to him. Even though it might have got put on there, personal time, study time, quiet time, worship time. Even though it might have been added to the list, it was never actually gotten to. There's only so much time in the day. Now, i got to get rested up because another day is full and another day is busy tomorrow, so I'll come back to Jesus. Maybe when I have a little more time tomorrow, I can fit him into my appointments. Achievement. I'm so busy achieving, achieving things, I get distracted from the one thing that matters. And we'll accomplish all these things and leave Jesus off the slot so many times. Why? Because our achievement idol distracted us. Listen, the devil, the devil loves to clutter. He loves to fill our lives with anything that he possibly can. The more that's there, the more that competes. And the more that can distract. This is why this is a dangerous idol in our lives, because it causes such distraction that we forget Jesus is there. Martha's running around the house, but Jesus is there. She's everywhere but where she needs to be, so it causes distraction, but it also breeds competition. People who struggle with the idol of achievement will turn anything into a competition. Some of y'all are like, yeah, I know why you struggle with this one now, Trey. Like we, we can see it. It's pretty obvious for you. I admit it. I am recovering achievement idol worshiper. This is me. It was hard. It's still hard for me, but it breeds competition. So you go back and look in, in the second half of verse 
40 as Martha's running around, she's serving. Listen to what she says. She says, Lord, do not care that my sister's left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. We get this sense with Martha that it's almost as if she's keeping score between her and her sister. And she wants Jesus to be aware of the fact that she's winning. Lord, do you not see me helping? You see what she's doing? Look at it. She's just sitting over there. And she's almost celebrating the fact that she's running around doing all the good stuff, doing all the stuff that matters, while Mary's just lazily sitting off to the side. People with an achievement idol in their heart, they don't seem to have a problem with letting everyone know when they win or when they accomplish a task. They like to boast in the fact that they got whatever it is done, that they got done. The problem with this is there's no competition in the kingdom. Jesus had to teach his disciples this. They're walking down the road one day, and they, they're back behind him, and he can, uh, he's eavesdropping on a conversation. They're debating who's going to be the greatest. They're back there, you know, chest bumping each other, sizing each other up a little bit. And finally, they just ask, Hey, Jesus, we got a question. Uh, would you mind telling us uh, which one of us is going to be the greatest in your kingdom? They're competing. Which one of us is going to sit beside you in heaven? And they wanted to hear what Jesus' response was, not because they wanted to hear necessarily for themselves, but so they could find out in case he didn't name them, they could up the game a little bit. The competition could get a little bit stouter. So if I'm Peter and Jesus says, John, I know who the competition is now. I'm going to do whatever I can to get myself underneath John and pull his legs out from under him, take a shortcut. And so Jesus turns around in Luke chapter 9. He says, John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. So they've just had this conversation about who's going to be the greatest. Jesus turns around and he tells them, guys, it's not about that. You got wrong motivations. It's not why we're here. And they get just down the road a little further. And look at what happens. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. So they go down a little further the road and they encounter somebody that's doing ministry, somebody that's doing gospel work, somebody's doing a good thing in the name of Jesus. They're casting out demons from somebody. And John and the disciples decided, we're going to stop this person from doing this. They're trying to bring freedom into somebody's life. It don't matter who the vessel is. This person is trying to deliver someone from a demon possession. And John and the disciples say it. And just because it's not them, they try and stop it from happening. And so Jesus has a response. Jesus said, don't stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. Jesus is like, what are you competing against? We're on the same side of the rope. And it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him, but the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. You think competition ain't a bad thing? It can be good. Most times it's not. Why? Because we take it to a level it don't need to go to. Jesus is trying to do ministry in certain areas, and John and the disciples walk up, and they see somebody casting out demons. They try to stop them. They get a little further down the road, and just because somebody didn't automatically accept Jesus when they walked into the town, they say, hey, Lord, you want us to, like, call fire down, wipe them out? We can just take them out right now, Lord. And Jesus is like, guys, please. Listen, hey, kingdom work 
is accomplished by combining efforts, not competing efforts. We come together. We lock arms for the building of God's kingdom. It doesn't matter who the vessel is. It doesn't matter which, which ministry God decides he's going to pour out a little extra measure of blessing on or whatever. We celebrate and we rejoice with one another when we see lives being transformed. This is a combined effort, not a competing one. It should be like that if we hear down the road that God's blessing another church and revival's breaking out. Praise God. Hallelujah. Use that place. Use those vessels. This is a combined effort. So be careful or this idol will cause you to compete in an arena where you've already been declared a winner. Breeds competition. Here's the next one. It incites comparison. Within the same verse, we see Martha competing with Mary. We also see her comparing herself to Mary. And so the whole time she's running, she's like, she's like, Lord, look, look, look what I'm doing. Look how I'm, I'm serving while Mary's sitting. Take that, Mary. It's a comparison thing. Lord, look at me. Look at what I'm serving while she's just sitting over there doing nothing. Look at me compared to her. Look at all that I'm doing in comparison. And an achievement idol incites an attitude of comparison within us, and it's laced with two very dangerous elements. Here's what I want to show you. Here's the first dangerous element that gets laced with this is a constant frustration with people. If you have an achievement idol set up in your life, I would guarantee that a lot of times you spend being frustrated with other people around you who in your eyes aren't getting it done. And it causes you to become critical of others. People with an achievement idol have a very, very critical nature about them. Y'all, man, y'all, the reason why I can speak so well to this, I hope you do understand, is because this would be, I had to work through all these things. They become very, very critical of other people around them because they don't get the job done. Jesus, look at me. All right, look at what I'm doing. Look at how lazy they are. Look at how kickback, look how, look how uncaring they are. Look at all the serving that I'm doing. Look at all the praying that I'm doing. I'm, I'm serving while other people are sitting. Jesus, look at me. I'm praying while other people are pouting. Look at all the things that I'm doing for your glory, for your good, and for your name. And here's the thing. When you have this idol set up in your life, you find no joy in the company of others. There's no joy in the company of other people because it's only frustration. You look around and you critique and you compare and you get mad and you get upset and you lose your joy in the midst of all that. Here's the second dangerous element that comes along with this. It's not just a constant frustration with people, but it's a constant sense of discontentment with yourself. There's never any satisfaction, no matter the season of life that you're in. It's a never-ending cycle of devaluing self, listen, where fulfillment is not allowed. People who struggle with an idol of achievement will not allow fulfillment into their life because they see that as letting their foot off the gas. And so there's never any fulfillment. There's never any satisfaction. There's never a moment where you sit down and can truly be thankful for the blessings of God in your life. There's never a moment where you can sit down and express any gratitude for the things that God has brought into your life. You can't stay in a season of that. Why? Because there's always the next thing. 
There's always the next thing that you become discontent with. People who battle with the idol of achievement are always in need of approval. Why? Because they're constantly just discontent with themselves. You know what seeking approval is? It's wearisome. That gets tired in a hurry. Because people will never be able to fill you up the way in which you're seeking them to. And so this comparison, it, it, it brings out this comparison of your life with everybody else's. That's why it's such a dangerous idol. The next thing it does is it produces anxiety. Look at verse 41. Jesus responds to Martha. Aren't you thankful that Jesus has an answer to our struggles? And he answers her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. The idol of achievement produces anxiety because it is always placing on you an expectation to live up to. That's why there's anxiousness, because there's always the expectation to live up to. Listen, when, when I was playing baseball, and you can imagine that this is where a lot of this was built up in my life. My years spent in athletic competition, a lot of this got built up inside of me then in ways in which I didn't even realize. This idol got set up in my life. I had no awareness that it was even being built. That's the danger of these idols that we're going to talk about over these next few weeks because that's exactly how a lot of them show up in your life. They're there and you have no idea construction is even taking place and you stop and you realize one day, oh my goodness, I've been bowing to this thing for longer than I care to remember. And so a lot of this got built up in my life during, during that time span because in baseball, I wanted to achieve the role of being an ace pitcher. That was my goal. That was my desire. When I went to UNA, I was like, man, I want to be the number one guy. I want to be that guy that the entire town shows up to on Saturday, game one, because they know Trey's got the ball, and he's fixing to dominate. And I wanted the other team to have that fear in them as well, to know that on game one, when you show up on Saturday, it's a loss. Sorry, guys, like, you might as well just come to terms with the reality. You show up on Saturday, I'm throwing game one, 0-1 on the weekend. Automatic start. That was my desire. That's what I pushed myself towards. That's what I worked towards day in and day out to become that person. But let me tell you this. With that achievement came anxiety. Because each weekend, the expectation was for me to win and to perform at a high level. I achieved it. But at what cost? Some of you have some lofty things that you want to achieve in your life, but you don't realize what might come with that thing if you get there. And anxiety showed up to where every weekend I was prepared, I was ready to go. I got to where I could handle it. I could manage the emotions of it. But every weekend, I'm telling you all, when that national anthem was playing, it was the longest song of my life. I'm getting ready to throw that first pitch. My palms are sweating. I'm like, I'm not even going to be able to hold on to the baseball. I would wear that rosin bag. There wouldn't be no powder left in it before I ever even did the first pitch because anxiety was a part of the, the achievement, the expectation to live up to everything that I'd put myself towards and built up in my life. Martha, in the same way, was an achiever. She had placed all these expectations on herself. I got to be this, and I got to be there, and the house has got to do this, and I got to show Jesus this, and all these things. She was trying to live up to all those expectations that it made her openly anxious so much so Jesus identified it 
He says, Martha, you are anxious. Jesus said to her, but only one thing is necessary. Did you catch what he said? You know what his remedy was for her anxiety? Go back and look. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So Jesus said, Martha, the remedy for your anxiety is to look at your sister. If you're anxious, here's my suggestion. Sit down and be still. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. But you know, it's very hard for people who have an idol of achievement to be still. You know why? Because that feels unproductive. So these people that have this set up as an idol, and if you have this set up as an idol in your life, you probably find it very hard to sit down and be still here. Because as long as you're sitting still, you feel unproductive. So many other things in this house that need to be done. So many other things that need to be taken care of. So many other things within my job that I I got so much responsibility. I wanted that promotion. I worked for that promotion. I got that promotion. And now what's it doing to you? I run around all over the place. I'm constantly in my mind is filled with all these things. I got all this anxiety. I got this this work. You know what I've come to realize? A lot of people's work-related stress was exactly what they wanted. And now that you got it, you don't want it anymore. I want that promotion. I want to climb to the top. And then once you get there, it's like, ooh, there's responsibility here. Whoops. There's a lot of expectation here. Whoops. There's a lot of anxiety here. Whoops. God says, be still. If you struggle with the idol of achievement, this is an identifier because you can't. Everything inside of you wants to get up and go, 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 go. God says, sit down and be still. Let's work on this idol. One last identifier. One last danger. An idol of achievement. It settles for good. Which seems backwards. Because if achievement is my main idol, if achievement is the main thing I desire, Good would never be good enough, right? It seems weird that good would be what is settled for, but that's exactly what happens. I told you this is the paradox of an idol achievement. It sends you somewhere to where you think you're working towards certain things, when in reality it is taking you in an opposite direction. And so we see this at the end of the text when Jesus is having a conversation with Martha, and the NIV puts it this way. I like the way the NIV words this verse in 42. Jesus says to Martha that Mary has chosen what is better. There was a good thing. There was a good thing. Martha's service was a good thing. There was a good thing. But there was a better thing present as well. And it was Jesus. Jesus says, Martha, I'm not down in your service. I appreciate the effort. I love the fact that you want everything to be put in shape. I love the fact that you want the house to be put together. 
I love the fact that even though I showed up unannounced, you welcomed me in your home, and now it's caused all this chaos in your life. But listen, there's a better thing. All that stuff can wait. I'm here. Why don't you just enjoy me, the best thing that you can have? I'm only going to be here so long. That's what they didn't realize at the time. Jesus' physical presence is only going to be there for so long. And he's trying to get this, this poor woman to sit down and enjoy it while it's there. There's a good thing. There's a better thing present as well. What I'm trying to help you see is that achievement is an abyss. And it's a seemingly bottomless pit because no matter what you achieve, there's always going to be more. There's always going to be more to attain. There's always going to be, there's always going to be another degree to earn. There's always going to be another award to win. There's always going to be another promotion to gain. There's always going to be another badge to wear. There's always one more thing out there that you could reach out and try and grab if you put in enough effort. Like what Paul told the Philippians. He said, guys, I've achieved some cool things in my life. I've had some cool moments. I've had some cool experiences. I've worn some some big-time titles. Let me tell you all something. Let me tell you what my goal for gain is now. It's Christ. I want to gain Him. He's my desire. He's my pursuit. He's my passion. All this other stuff that I've had, all this other stuff that I've gained, all this other stuff I've achieved over the years, you know what? That's garbage. That's garbage in comparison to the gain that I have found when I sat down in front of Jesus and let His presence fill my life. Making the dean's list, it won't fully satisfy you. Earning all-American status, it's not going to endlessly fulfill you. Becoming a CEO won't finally completely complete you. Only Jesus can. Listen, this became all too real for me this weekend. You guys, a lot of y'all know. I mean, I had the opportunity to be a part of something really cool. A Hall of Fame induction at the place where I played. The place that, that ironically enough, built up this idol in my life. I went back there in a moment to receive the greatest culmination of all that I could have achieved there. All that hard work, all that desire, all those blood, those sweats, those tears, those, those late nights, those cold days showing up when nobody else was there, it all culminated in that moment. The greatest thing I could have ever asked for happened, happened to me on Saturday. The recognition of all that work. And it was great. It was awesome. It was amazing. It was one of the coolest experiences of my life. But you know what? This time when I went back there and I received that award, it was different. When I was there, man, it was what can I, I want to be all conference, I want to be all American. I want to have the opportunity to play professionally. I want to win. I want to put my name on every board. You can put it on around here. You know what? That left me unfulfilled and unsatisfied. I got done with all that. Jesus pulled me off to the side. He said, my son, you've been distracted. Why don't you just come over here and sit down for a second? I appreciate your hard work. I appreciate your desire. I appreciate that passion, that competitive nature. I put all that in you. And it's good. But there's better things that can be used for. Remember me? Remember my presence? So I went back. We had the induction ceremony, and they, they called our names out, and 
they give us a medal. So I walk over there, the sports information director, Jeff, he puts that medal around my neck. And in that moment, like I said, is the culmination of everything that I'd ever wanted to achieve. But the difference was this time, is that award hung around my neck? I thought, you know what? This doesn't compare. This pearl doesn't compare to the pearl I have in Jesus. Listen to me, men and women of God. Don't trade the pearl of Christ for the pig of achievement. It ain't worth it. And it made me think, too, and here's how we're going to close tonight. I think, man, all of us faithful servants, Christ says for those of you that persevere, Paul understood this. He said, there's in store for us the crown of righteousness. I'm going to stand in heaven one day. He's going to call my name. I'm going to walk up there just like I did to receive my medal for the Hall of Fame. I'm going to walk up and I'm going to bow. He's going to place that crown of righteousness on my head. And then you know what we're going to get to do? We're going to get to gather with the saints and the elders around the throne. We're going to take them crowns off and we're going to cast it at Jesus' feet. We're going to say, nothing's greater than you, Lord. We got you. We've got eternity with you, and that's all we want, and that's all we need. So, hey, is Christ your pearl tonight? You've been rolling around in this, this muck and this mire with this pig of achievement. I struggle. I've been there. I know. Hey, lay it down. There, there's a simple remedy. That's just be still before God tonight. Let him remind you his presence sits ready and waiting to have your full attention.